0: Welcome to the MarTech
1: Podcast, I'm your host, Benjamin Shapiro, and today we're going to discuss Clearbit's B2B data activation platform for marketing intelligence. Joining us is Kevin Tate, who is the CMO of Clearbit, which is a marketing intelligence solution that helps B2B marketers and revenue teams grow faster and smarter with data. Over 1,500 customers in organizations like Segment, Asana, and Atlassian use Clearbit's data activation platform and APIs to create demand, capture intent, and optimize their pipeline. Yesterday, Kevin and I talked about using Clearbit for data-driven products, and today we're going to continue the conversation talking about how to power AI using data. All right, here's the second part of my conversation with Kevin Tate, the CMO of Clearbit. Kevin, welcome back
2: to the MarTech Podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Pleasure to be back.
1: Always good to have you on the show and excited to continue our conversation where yesterday you gave us the preview or I guess the announcement of the newest innovation from Clearbit, which is you could start using Clearbit to build your own data products. You can ingest Clearbit data and use it in real time to help your customers and to understand who they are. So Clearbit's not just a marketer's tool now, it's also for the product and engineering team. Now, that's a great innovation, and we've seen lots of innovation across the MarTech landscape this year. Specifically, I don't know if you've heard about it, there's this thing called Generative AI and ChatGPT, which seems to be dominating the news cycle. And before the robots take over, I want to ask you, another human, about what you think about it and how marketers can start thinking about artificial intelligence and the usage of data. You work at one of the most prominent data companies in the world. How do you guys think about AI?
2: Oof, it's a big, big question. And I feel like I have to say, I'm, I'm a little nervous talking about AI because it feels like no matter what I say, even if this airs tomorrow, it's going to be out of date because things are changing so, so quickly. As I was looking at some different articles and points of view around AI, I kept having to limit my search to either this week or today because things that came out two weeks ago are almost relevant at this point. So that's my big disclaimer. AI is personally, I think, the most exciting slash controversial slash scary thing to happen to tech in these many years. And I've gone through a few waves. There's no video, so you can't see the gray in this beard, but mild gray. (laughs) I did Web 1.0, and then I did Web 2.0, and now here comes the wave of AI. And honestly, thinking about it a bit, there are things about the promise of the AI wave that remind me of both the start of the web proper and then also what happened with Web 2.0. And I'm excited about a lot of the same things, but also a lot of the same uncertainties in terms of impact on economies and jobs and how it'll be used.
1: You're making yourself seem so much older than you actually are, Kevin.
2: Yes, I'm 100 years old. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody, (laughs) Kevin looks like he's about my age. He's
1: not that old. All right. You make a good comparison here of we've gone through a couple iterations. There was the web portal age. There was user generated content. Now we're looking at essentially machine generated content let's talk about the application of data you've got a unique source of data which you feed to marketers and now product team to help them understand who is interacting with their digital properties i'm assuming you guys are looking into artificial intelligence or incorporating it into what you do what is clearbit's stance on artificial intelligence where are you using it where is it actually applicable today
2: So a few areas that came up right away and that we're working with companies, very specific things. So first, there's using data like ours to train the models, the sort of fundamental, either a large language model like ChatGPT or BARD, but also more fine-tuning models where you're trying to provide data that helps an AI, more specific things about a given domain. In our case, a lot of times that's company-specific information or technographic information A particularly interesting area would be, you know, it's one thing to feed an AI engine and and AI applications are somewhat different consumers of data than, say, other types of applications, but to provide it with, say, I don't know, where your company is located or what industry is in is one thing. But to be able to say, hey, it looks like the company that you're interacting with is using these 25 technologies, and you know which of those are relevant to the solution that you provide and which ones you integrate with well. That can be a really rich and contextual data set to provide either at that tuning stage or... What's typically the sort of point of interaction for these AI applications is the actual user interaction. So when it's actually generating its response or creating the asset, now you can tell it, ooh, and tune it with these things. So our data gets pulled in at these sort of three different levels of the AI generation process.
1: All right. So essentially, Clearbit's data source is something that's used to train and help artificial intelligence understand all the technographic information in the same way that it's used to help humans understand where someone might work. Great. That's a wonderful data source. Talk to me about that feed. It's not like ChatGPT and Bard are saying, you know what, I want to sign an annual agreement with Clearbit. How do these large language models start to get access to Clearbit data? Is there a feed or a source that you're using to help the world take advantage of the data? How does that flow work?
2: It's a very dynamic space, right? So I think the answer is we're going to see, to date, companies have effectively licensed our data, used our data to train their models, We basically provide an entire market view. So if you're trying to teach a system about a market, then a large data set like that is very interesting. These more real-time or personalization use cases would be real-time, would be API-based. And frankly, when ChatGPT announced the plugins architecture, what was that week before last maybe? So the ability to pull in real-time data and web-based data into an experience, that's what opens up that capability. And as we talked a little bit about yesterday in the the importance of personalization and the ability to create an experience based on knowing who someone is or what company they're coming from, that's going to be a really big part of an AI-driven interaction. So when I was looking at something around personalization, I saw a Gartner study that suggested that 86% of B2B customers expect a company to utilize their specific information when interacting with them. So they expect, treat me like you know me, treat me like you're smart about who I am. So the ancillary systems that can provide that context are going to be in great demand for these AI-driven experiences.
1: Now, one of the things, not necessarily Clearbit has run into, but the people that are using Clearbit, trying to avoid the creepy factor hey i gave you my email address now you know everything about my work or what technology stack i'm using all of a sudden we're giving this data to a machine which might not have that context of what is an appropriate way to show what you know about someone talk to me about Clearbit's feelings your general thoughts on what data we're exposing in these models how it's using and how we might set up some guidelines to make sure that it's used appropriately
2: we think a lot about compliance, obviously, at Clearbit, and there's two aspects to it. Maybe they're both relevant here. One is there's a whole area of compliance and how we're very careful with how we collect data and how we store data and how we manage data. And then the second is on behalf of our customers, there's helping them be compliant in how they store and manage and then use data in the context of a customer interaction. And I think it's that second part, to your point, Gets really interesting when you're trying to mediate effectively a usage agreement with a bot, with an AI. Who do you hold compliant?
1: The problem is they've got every legal document in the world and they'll just write their own terms. It's like every lawyer that ever existed.
2: Exactly. Generate a different version of the contract. Okay, now make it more favorable to me. It's fascinating to think about what that's going to be like. And my suspicion is that if you look at the apps that were. First part of the um, when OpenAI announced their, their GPT plugins, one was a web browser, so a capability for them to get real-time information. And the others were largely sort of doer app, you know, Instacart and Zapier are being able to pull in lots of things. And that makes a ton of sense. It'll be interesting to see if and which data providers actually jump directly into that mix, or if it's more mediated by one of those apps that's relying on data to do its thing. Maybe it's a nuance, but it's a little different to sort of plug a generative AI directly into a data source versus going through a trusted entity that needs to be compliant and do those things. And so I'm just really curious to see how all that plays out and how close the data gets to the generative AI process. It's going to be really interesting.
1: Time for a one-minute break to hear from our presenting sponsor, Mutinex. honestly, it's one of the most fascinating times I can remember in marketing. I'm sure glad that we're talking about something other than the metaverse, because I thought that that was going to be the topic of the year. And hey, look at this. All of a sudden, nobody even remembers it's a thing. So last question I have for you, as a prominent leader of a MarTech company, how do you think about using generative AI, artificial intelligence in your team and your regular workflows?
2: The potential, maybe the promise of being able to dramatically cut down on the content creation part is really interesting. I know some colleagues go to a Jasper AI conference recently, and one of the things they showed that I thought was a good way of putting it was they had like five stages of AI assisted content production. And basically, the effect that AI had was, hey, stop spending 80% of your time on the creation, and now you can spend more of your time on the ideation and the distribution and that come before and after that. And that's really interesting. And I like this idea that what we can do when assisted by an AI-powered content helper is spend more time on the ideas and how to get the message out there. And as marketers, it expands our scope rather than what well, takes hands off of keyboard and would we'll just make 100 versions of every article in case it gets crawled, which I think brings me to the downside of it. It feels like it's, well, I guess maybe the bigger question mark, it feels like it's inevitably going to upset the balance of content effort and search engine value, right? I mean, that's been the economy we've been in forever was, well, it takes time and energy to generate good content but it's worth it because the search engines will know you're there and people will find their way to your good content. And that has been the balance. And so if suddenly good content can be made for near free, then what happens when that balance is upset?
1: I don't think it's a zero-sum game for what it's worth. I think that good content is only trumped by better content. And if you're using artificially generated content and everyone is using it, then it's all table stakes. And then there's just this influx of content. And same thing we've seen with performance marketing. Well, hey, great, the first couple ads were super impactful. And then there were different ad channels. Now all of a sudden we're just saturated by impressions and people are less responsive to advertising in general. So we see this need for content. Well, maybe there's a balance there maybe now we're about to be hit with this giant influx of content and people are going to start ignoring it and start looking back to performance marketing and be more responsive there. I just don't believe that if we're all of a sudden generating so much content that everyone's going to see better results. I think that just means that it's going to be harder to find the content that is the best content. Even if it's all a little better, you still can only consume so much content in a given day, but that's just my thought.
2: I think that's smart, and I think that kind of comes back to a signal the noise problem. And we can turn up the noise, but it just means that having a way to find good signal becomes even more important. And to your point earlier, not so different from when we had the early days of user generated content and before things like the feed and the algorithms that we've come to value and in some cases see the trouble with that direct our attention. It was just, well, okay, there've been a thousand things posted since noon. Which one do I even pay attention to? And so we'll probably find new ways of directing and curating our attention.
1: I think of it very much like the crypto buzz bubble that that's you know popped a little bit recently where in the early days of crypto, was people were sort of running towards the medium saying, hey, we're all going to get rich. Some people got really rich as it was growing. And then once it became more commonplace, it wasn't really that valuable of an asset. So as we're in this initial wave of understanding generative AI and starting to add it into marketing, some people are going to use the strategy effectively and really make a big impact in their business. But eventually, I think that things will normalize and we will all get used to using these tools and hopefully humans are still around at that point and Skynet hasn't happened and Arnold Schwarzenegger clones aren't taking us all out.
2: Yeah, it is. And I don't know if you've played around with it in this way, but St. Patrick's Day I was seeing across from a creative director and he was talking with me about how he'd been using it. And I found that I had been sort of quizzing Chat GPT. Tell me this and tell me this and then judging its answers against reality in some way. And what he had been doing was more what he described with his clients as dreaming with it. Like, okay, What if we took this idea and now take it in these 10 different directions? And then, oh, yeah, let's do the one that's more like Victorian England. Yeah, let's go that way. And like, it's generative and using it as a way to create branch after branch of ideation and exploration was a really different. I saw some of these transcripts and was like, oh, that's interesting. Generative for generative sake versus are you better than a search engine?
1: my experimentation with it and it is purely experimentation at this point is first thing i do is tell me about the martech podcast and i did this with chat gpt and i did it with bard as well And it gives me a little bit of a summary, basically paraphrases the summaries that are on martechpod.com. And I was like, okay, it gave me a little bit of a concise summary of what the program is. Tell me a little bit about the host. And interestingly enough, it made up a bunch of shit that I didn't do. Like, I am not the CEO of Sendoso. And guess what? His name isn't Ben Shapiro. So that was just purely fabricated. I've never met Chris. I'm sure he's great, but we don't share a name. Like, I understand if ChatGPT was like... Ben Shapiro is a right-wing Republican podcaster because he shares my name. But this is somebody totally different. So that, to me, indicated the generative AI can't be trusted. So fact generation is a thing, right? What I have found it to be useful for is, here's an email. How would you clean it up to make it more concise, right? Where it is an assistant, not a content producer. And I think that, you know, for us thinking about content production... There may be a world down the road as artificial intelligence gets better. We staff a bunch of writers and we love them. And when they listen to this episode, your jobs are not going anywhere. But there might be a world where that role, instead of being a content producer, becomes a content editor where, hey, we fed the transcript of this interview into ChatGPT. It wrote this summary, edit this summary to make it better and more concise and allow them to spend less time on each piece of content so they can produce more. I see value there. I just don't have the trust yet. And so, look, we're in the early days. Some people got burned with the early days of crypto. Some became stupidly rich. And, you know, I think that the people that are heavily relying on on generative AI were kind of in that phase as well.
2: I think that's right. And to bring it back to what it means for us at Clearbit, I think whatever roles we play in AI experiences and generative AI content the accuracy and the reliability of the data that we're providing gets even more important. As important as it was before, now it's even more important that we're providing good grist for the middle.
1: Well, look, the information that Clearbit is feeding to whatever system that's using it that's getting into generative AI clearly doesn't understand that I am not the CEO of Sendoso. So if you can make that update on your back end, I'd appreciate it. Next time we get together, I'm going to fact check you here, probably using chat GPT. <laughs> Kevin, always great to see you. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Uh, appreciate your time and love to hear your thoughts.
2: It's great. Thanks, Ben.
1: All right, and that wraps up this episode of the Martech podcast. Thanks for listening to my conversation with Kevin Tate, the CMO of Clearbit. If you'd like to get in touch with Kevin, you can find a link to his LinkedIn profile in our show notes or you could visit his company's website, which is clearbit.com. That's c l e a r b i t.com.